Today's episode is brought to you by the new Yelp for Restaurants. In July 2020, hundreds of hospitality professionals and enthusiasts at Yelp banded together to create a new team dedicated entirely to the betterment of restaurants. Check out our latest project together, the Restaurant Marketing School podcast at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash marketing school or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here we go. Customers are missing their favorite places and they're hungry, if you pardon the pun, to connect with those restaurants. And I think coming out of this, that enthusiasm will translate in spades if restaurants do it the right way. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Are you ready to level up? The Pineapple Post is launched and I'd like for you to be a part of it. It's a newsletter for people like you, people who want to learn and improve. It's delivered every Sunday and packed with stories, videos, and audio content from the brightest minds in our industry. We're covering the latest news, innovations, and trends to inform and inspire the way you do business. When you're serious about your work and you're ready to take it to the next level, The Pineapple Post is here to help. Sign up at pineapplepost.news. I hope you'll check it out. I have spent a lot of time over the last several months thinking about legacy. I can't help but wonder if my efforts will result in a lasting impact on our industry. Am I able to help move the conversation forward? Can I improve the day-to-day lives of my peers? I look to guys like Ben Leventhal for inspiration. Ben's contributions to food, media, and tech are undeniable. On the heels of him stepping down as GM of Amex's global dining team, we look back at his legacy and what comes next for him and for the restaurant industry. Well, restaurateurs are survivors really by nature. It's been an open secret, or not even a secret, it's been an open fact for a very long time that the restaurant business was not a particularly good business to be in. The chorus has been consistent on the challenges of running a restaurant with the current set of labor laws that are out there, the various city-by-city compliance costs and requirements, the challenges around occupancy costs. So all these things are pretty well-known, well-treaded. Certainly, I would continue to have a front row seat on to see those things, but I don't think any of those things were particularly unknown. I think that maybe the public has come to understand the plight of restaurants a little bit more explicitly through the crisis. I think that certainly the restaurateurs have been very comfortable talking about how the industry is struggling and what the industry needs to get on better footing. But I mean, restaurateurs, like I said, they're sort of conditioned to do battle. That's part of owning and running a restaurant, as you know. So yeah, I don't think that was anything too much of a reveal as we got into it. You find yourself in the same position as I guess a lot of us coming out of the pandemic in the way that you're currently unemployed. Which I'm I'm sure is like a really interesting place to be. And granted, your financial position might be different than everyone else's, but you still have to look at yourself in this moment and say, what's next for me? Are you having those conversations with yourself? 
So I should say, first of all, I'm still very connected to the Resi American Express enterprise. I'm an advisor to the business, spend a lot of time with the team on strategy and thinking about how Resi and how American Express can show up for restaurants and create the right kind of dining programming for card members. I feel very connected to the business still, which I'm very happy about. As far as what comes next, I think it's too early to tell. As you said, I'm in an enviable position where I can think on it for a couple of beats. Look, I still have a ton of passion for this industry, maybe more so than ever. And I think that the way restaurants will evolve from here is going to be really, really interesting and really, really fun to watch. Maybe there's ways that I can be less of a spectator and more of an active participant in that change and in that evolution. But like I said, it's a little early to say anything more specific other than to say that the hospitality business is not getting rid of me so fast. (laughs) (laughs) I interviewed Gino Wickman for the show. And one of the things he said that really struck me, and it's something I've tried to incorporate into my own life, is that you think about your life in 10-year blocks. And when you set goals, Mm -hmm. you set goals 10 years out. On a personal and professional level, when you look 10 years out, even though you don't know exactly what you want to do today, do you know what you want to accomplish? And when you look 10 years out, what does your life look like? And what contributions have you made? Listen, if I could think 10 years out, I'd be much better off. I don't know. It's very hard to say, but what I would hope for is that I can continue to make real contributions to this industry. I try to build things of real substance. I try to build things that help us see the future and move us forward. And I hope that in 10 years, I can look back and say that I spent the last decade doing that and building things or one thing or multiple things that accomplish that and that have brought the industry forward as to what those are specifically. I don't know yet. I was in doing research. I came across the fact that you were the director of Hot Bread Kitchen. I'm on the board of directors. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting because when I read it, I think it was dated 2013, 2014, somewhere around Mm -hmm. there. And it's way before the Me Too movement, way before people had really begun to focus on women's roles within the industry. Can you talk to me about what inspired you to get involved? I first became aware of Hot Bread Kitchen through a woman who I had, who is now a dear friend and who was an investor and eater. And I think the organization has always had a wonderful mission, one that I really connect to. It's empowering people through food. If we think about it, in many ways, what we're all kind of trying to do, people who are in hospitality, people who are chefs, we're all trying to empower people through food and experiences. And I really, I've always loved the direct connection that Hot Bread Kitchen makes. And I love what the organization says about how empowering food can be, how cooking skills and culinary skills, how empowering they can be. I am very honored to be part of it. I'm lucky to be part of it. I'm lucky to sit on the board and the organization continues to do wonderful things. As in recent times, we've really been focused on expanding our training programs, empowering and graduating more and more women from our programs. Obviously, the idea of jobs and culinary is something that 
it's a little bit challenging at this particular moment in time, but we have some other ideas that the team is starting to bring to fruition. But just as the idea of using food and using food training to empower people is a wonderful concept and so proud of the work that Hotbird Kitchen has done over the years. Well, and looking further back, what was your attraction to food? What got you into the industry and the capacity that you've been in, which is not directly involved, but indirectly involved? And still, I mean, when you look at your contributions with Eater and with Resi, for someone that isn't actively operating restaurants, you've had a huge impact on the industry. What drew well, you to it? I mean, I appreciate that. I've been drawn to restaurants since my earliest memories. When I was growing up, the birthday present that I insisted on getting was trips to three restaurants on my birthday. I got to sort of program breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we'd sort of pick. I'd look at the Zagat, which was the Bible at that moment in time, and I'd say, okay, we're going to go to this place for breakfast and this place for lunch, this place for dinner. I'd drag my family around the city trying these places. And we had Sunday night dinners where at a there was one or two restaurants that we kept going back to on Sunday nights and restaurants are a happy place for me. They've been where I've always chosen to celebrate and to spend time with people I care about. They energize me, they inspire me. And I'm very lucky to have been able to create a career around that passion. But it's really just the restaurant spaces more than anything else. The feeling that you get when you are sitting in a great restaurant, the energy that sort of courses through the place, the incredible choreography that you see in front of you when you see a team that is tight and firing on all cylinders. It's just incredible. It's thrilling anytime you see it. Always been something that I've just enjoyed very much. How do you see tech evolving or changing that experience post-pandemic? Well, in terms of the tech that we've built at Resi and, and the other technology companies that I'm involved with. I think the key to good restaurant tech is for it to be pretty inconspicuous. I think that when you're talking about fine dining, you really do want to make it a tech light experience. And where there is technology, it should feel native and it should feel easy. And ideally, it should almost feel like magic. Something's happening in a way that feels sort of magical meaning that it's so easy that you don't believe it's that easy. And when tech becomes more conspicuous than that, it draws away from the experience. So we don't want to see lots of technology start to pop up around the dining room where it's conspicuous and you sort of feel like the restaurant is a place where tech lives. What we want to do is we want to create technology that enhances hospitality. And a lot of times that means technology that empowers the team to deliver hospitality more efficiently or better than they can do it without the tech. So a lot of the tech, I think, will continue to be behind the scenes, and it's focused on things like making sure that guest information is complete, synchronizing different systems inside the restaurant so that restaurateurs have more visibility on their performance. They can make smarter, more informed decisions about how and where and when to invest. Certainly, payments and paying the check is a technology opportunity that we're thinking about, one that frankly, I don't think anyone has fully cracked, but one that will be solved and the experience of paying the check will get a lot better thanks to technology. I think as clunky as it is, a lot of the restaurants that I visited 
during COVID have embraced a QR code on the check so that there's sort of one less point of contact. Even that, and I do think it's pretty clunky, is a better experience, I think, than handing the check folder, the check presenter back and forth a couple of times and having to wait. So I think that that's an area that we'll see some innovation. But a lot of the tech is really behind the scenes and should stay behind the scenes because we want restaurants to continue to feel transporting and we want restaurants to continue to really be analog experiences. That's why we go to restaurants. We go to Mm -hmm. restaurants to connect with humans and to connect with the physical space and to stimulate our senses. We don't go to restaurants to stare at screens and have to interact with technology. What I struggle with is I struggle with I guess, reinventing my own definition of what hospitality is. I think about the times I've sat in restaurants and I've been waiting to flag down a waiter to place an order or to reorder a drink or to order another dish. And I wonder, is it more hospitable to have a device on the table where I could just press a button and get exactly what I want when I want it without delay? No, I don't think so. No? (laughs) well, you're going to press the button and then what's going to happen? And you're going to be waiting for the waiter, right? There's just going to be a different moment of waiting after you've pressed the button. Then you're going to say, well, I pressed the button and nothing's happening. Is the button broken? Is the service broken? That doesn't solve anything. That kicks the can down the street a little bit, sort of however the phrase goes. But yeah, look, operations should get better as a result of technology. We should be smoothing all of the rough edges of the experience to the extent we can, but we shouldn't assume that all problems can be solved with technology. What you just described is just a service problem. I mean, in a good restaurant, a waiter should be able to read a table and know when they need something. You know, a good restaurant should be designed in a way where there's not a ton of blind spots so that waiters generally can see the tables that they're waiting on and you don't have to sort of search for somebody to help you. I think that's just good hospitality and not necessarily something that we should be expecting technology to fix, so to speak. I think you have to strike a balance. I think that there's, in these moments, you're looking for a waiter, you're trying to pay the check, you want another drink, you have a question about the menu, you ordered something and you forgot to say you didn't want the anchovies. We'll look at all these moments, and we are, not just resi, but all good tech companies are looking at all these moments and they're saying, well, where are the opportunities here? And tech will definitely make some of it better. But I think that there is often this sort of idea, this misconception that technology somehow solves sort of issues that are not technology issues or just issues that you don't have enough servers or you're not training your people the right way, or the restaurant is not designed particularly well. And, you know, There's ways of working through all those things and hopefully technology can help, but I don't think it's going to be, it's not a silver bullet by any stretch, but you know, that's a good example of something. So the way we've thought about solving that, where you're sort of waiting for your waiter or you find something is we've looked at, can we detect an amount of time that's too much time between when you've sat down and when your drink order is entered into the POS? Can we say, and then provide an alert to the service team, Josh has been sitting for eight minutes and we haven't received a drink order. So you better go and touch that table right now. That's how we would think about solving that versus necessarily putting a piece of technology on the table where you could press a button, right? So sort of doing some things behind the scenes. But I think we agree that we should figure out where tech can be an asset and we should focus on those 
opportunities in those use cases. Absolutely. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. What I've been pitching on the show is that there's a gold rush coming. That before we know it, customer demand will be back up to 100% and you'll have Mm -hmm. 40 to 60% of the restaurants available to meet that demand based on the permanent closure rates that we're seeing. And are those restaurants set up for success? Are they set up to scale and scale rapidly? Do they have the Mm -hmm. infrastructure that they need to be able to handle this volume and really thrive? Well, you would know the answer better than I would to that. I hope the answer is that, that we're starting to equip restaurants with the tools they need. I mean, I think the most important tool, so to speak, is some perspective on the business model so that restaurants can be a little bit smarter about what their businesses look like on the other side of this crisis so that restaurants are not so dependent on the things that have failed them in the past. Now, things are different in big cities where real estate costs are higher and you need more volume to break even, but restaurants in prime neighborhoods in LA or New York, like you need tons of covers to break even. So my hope is that restaurants don't make unrealistic assumptions about how many covers they're going to get coming out of this crisis. I think you're right. There's going to be a gold rush. And I think people are coming back enthusiastically. I mean, the numbers that we see are very, very encouraging in terms of consumer demand for restaurants. Consumers are going to come back. There is no question that consumers are going to come back and they're going to come roaring back and people are excited to dine out. But one plus one still equals two, meaning customers are not going to suddenly materialize out of thin air. So if your business was struggling going into the crisis, I don't think you should assume it's going to be better coming out unless you've made some real changes. I think that's a great point. And the best restaurateurs I know personally, and I'm sure this is true for you as well, they're the best business people. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a real opportunity to learn from you in this moment because as a business person, you've been incredibly successful. And I would love to know the lessons and the rules that have guided you along your path that you think most attribute to your success in the industry. Well, thank you for that. First of all, let me say my sort of stump speech for restaurants is that it's about revenue diversification. I think that great restaurateurs are great at many things. One of them is creating brand. And outside of the restaurant world, creating brand is really hard. We take it for granted in the restaurant industry how much restaurant spaces are branded spaces and how easy some of the best operators make it look to create brands. It's really not easy. Branding is hard. And it's something that restaurateurs do incredibly well, by and large. And so my biggest hope for the industry and the thing that I focus on in the businesses that I've built and something that I really hope that restaurants become obsessed with is building brand and then leveraging it. New revenue streams, like there's new opportunities to monetize restaurant brands on the other side of this crisis. And that's what I want to see operators do. Look, the lessons from my endeavors are, I've always focused on brand. We can check that box because that's what restaurateurs do that too. But when you have a branded product, leverage the brand, and then you've got to get obsessed with product market fit. And by that, I mean, you've got to tune the product until it's clear that people love it. I think something that restaurants do is they open a restaurant You've sort of put all your eggs in this basket of this restaurant and this concept, and then you dig in your heels. 
and you sort of wait for the customers to come. And sometimes they do, but sometimes you've got to be thinking about tuning and tweaking until it clicks, until it pops. When you open a restaurant and it's working and you have product market fit, meaning you have built something for which there is a large base of consumers, until you have that product market fit, you've got to keep tuning. You know when you have it. Any operator who's opened a successful restaurant, like there's that moment where it clicks and you're like, wow, this thing is going to work. This is going to (laughs) work. I did it. So that's the other key thing is just to get obsessed with product market fit. And the good news is more than ever, you've got all the instrumentation and all the data that you need to know and to tune. Be honest and be aggressive with your own thinking about finding that. So those are the things that have really been crucial for me is are those two things. And then the other, which is super obvious, but shouldn't be taken for granted is obviously you've just got to try and work with the very best people because the very best people will make finding product market fit differentiation a lot easier. You've also done a really good job of community building. When you look at these, you look at Eater, you look at Resi, you look at so many of the projects you've worked on and they're a community, right? Like-minded people working together towards a common goal, right? Well, I think we've really tried to line up with our constituents, so to speak. It's always been important to me that Resi is on the side of restaurants. And where we started with Eater was really, I think there was a particular kind of customer that really identified with the way that we were talking about restaurants. My co-founder of Eater Lockhart used to say that we were sort of like the guys with our noses on the glass of the storefront peering in. We just kind of wanted to be in there, but we were outsiders fundamentally starting point. I think people identify with that, but with Resi, it was extremely deliberate to line up with restaurants because we felt like that was what they needed. And to me, that was just so fundamental is if we lined up with our restaurants and we really delivered for them, then they'd deliver for us and they'd help us grow this business, which is what happened. We have tried to focus on community and I say that as sort of focusing on brand, obviously building sort of deep loyalty is part of building a great brand, building that connectivity. So I think you're absolutely right. It's crucial. And I think restaurants do have successful restaurants, definitely have extremely strong and loyal communities and have created that connectivity. And actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's really more than anything else why I'm enthusiastic about the future of restaurants, why I'm optimistic about the industry's ability to come out of this in a position of great strength is because I think that those connections, the connections that good restaurants have with their customers are going to be very powerful. And you're seeing it. I mean, customers are really like, they want to connect with restaurants that they love. I mean, customers are missing their favorite places and they're hungry if you pardon the pun, to connect with those restaurants. And I think coming out of this, that enthusiasm will translate in spades for restaurants to do it the right way. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share? Well, on every call that I've had with an operator throughout this crisis, I've sort of ended it by saying, keep the faith. and we're behind you. And I want all of the industry folks to know that we are behind you, that I'm behind you, and that we're in this fight 
together to the extent that we can be. And the future is going to be incredibly bright on the other side, and we'll find a way to get there. But in the meantime, keep the faith and battle through. That's Ben Leventhal. Be sure to follow Ben on Instagram using the handle Ben Leventhal. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.